Take your Bible and find the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, we're going to start a, a new series in the book of 2 Corinthians over the, next several, over the next several weeks. As you're turning there, I'd like to give you a little update on ministry in the panhandle. Uh, since Hurricane Michael has hit, you know the devastation that has been up in that region, in that area, and uh, from within our church and, and outside of our church, but particularly inside of our church, there have been several teams that have uh, gone up and done work and everywhere from Tallahassee down to Panama City and Mexico Beach. And we had a group of folks that went up this week. We had actually two teams go up, and uh, one team went up earlier in the week, and part of them stayed, and I hope they get, it ba get back. And so uh, another team left later in the week, and they're still there. And so just be in prayer. Uh, for those that were able to go and that have gone, you know the devastation. You know there's going to be great need over the next several, several weeks. Um, the group that went up Thursday uh, was able to make contact with Emerald Coast Fellowship Church pastor and had a great dialogue. Uh, several of you have given toward the hurricane relief, and we had some very generous giving over the last week, and we were able to send up a, a very nice offering that we could give uh, particularly to that church. Uh, that church has gone through a lot of devastation uh, within their own facilities, uh, but their greatest need is reaching that community. It's been such a great encouragement to me. Uh, and so if you would love to give toward uh, disaster relief, uh, we are partnering with Emerald Coast Fellowship, and the monies that we send up there are going through that so that church can do ministry in Panama City, and this church is particularly in Lynn Haven and that area. And so if you just want to designate it and give through our church, give it to Hurricane Relief, uh, Emerald Coast Fellowship, however you earmark that, we will get that to them. Uh, also want to encourage you that over the next uh, weeks, there's going to be opportunities for others to go. We are already beginning to organize opportunities through the summer that we can go and take trips and uh, not necessarily help the churches rebuild, but help those communities rebuild as we partner with those churches. So please pray for that and ways that we can help uh, those folks up there um, we need to be praying for them uh, but a lot of these folks just need help that the churches provide and so if we give we can allow the churches to do the ministry that they can do above and beyond what they are trying to do themselves so please pray about giving uh, toward that all right second corinthians i want to do something a little differently than i normally do normally we just dive into the text and and preach but since it's a new book, I'd love to be able to take some time with some background information and then to take a few minutes to look at the first two verses of the greeting of this letter. If you have access to a smartphone or technology, you can go to pastorjohnbeck.com and follow along. It's always helpful if I say that because I know that I can talk a little faster for those that are really interested in the details of what we're sharing. Well, let's start this way. Let's talk about the city of Corinth and what is going on. And I think it will help us understand why 2 Corinthians. Corinth was a very influential city. It had a, a, an ideal demographical, geographical location uh, in that part of the world. Uh, it set out on a little isthmus where uh, it had two bodies of water. And it literally was a great port city that connected Rome to the east. And so it was a, a very influential and prominent city. But yet with that prominence and with that location was great immorality. Uh, 
uh, had a great influence of Greek culture in the world and the Roman influence. And some of you may have heard of the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of love. There was a, a temple for Aphrodite that was there in, in Corinth. And there were said to have been a thousand prostitute princesses. And so can, can you imagine prostitution and worship in the same context? Well, that just shows you the, the, the lostness of this city to where sexuality and worship of false god is mingled in together. And uh, history would say that when night would fall, the, the, the goddesses would make their way into the city and thousands of prostitute women walking the streets in the name of religion. And you can imagine what that looked like. Several people have said it's, it's, stero- it's, it's Las Vegas on steroids. So a prominent city, an ideal location for making an impact in the world, which it was doing commercially, but just lost and in great need of hope. In Acts chapter 18, we find out that the Apostle Paul makes a venture to the city on his second missionary journey. Acts chapter 18 is part of the second missionary journey. And it is this city that Paul visited in the church with birth. Now that alone should encourage us greatly that a a New Testament church that had a tremendous impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ was in such a pagan city. Well, I rejoice that we don't have a a temple in Highlands County that has a thousand prostitute goddesses roaming the streets, amen? But yet I'm afraid at times we forget the ability and the power and the means that we have to make a difference because we think the world is lost around us. Well, the world is lost around us, but there's still a great impact that we can have for the Lord Jesus Christ. So here is that city. Now, I want to give you some background. You may find it interesting. You may not find it interesting. I find it interesting because it helps me understand why this letter was written. First, let me say this. There were four letters written to the church of Corinth. We only have two. So let me, let me fill in the blanks. Let me set the tone of what's going on here. Acts chapter 18 teaches us that Paul, number one, had an 18-month visit to Corinth and the church was planted. And he established the church. It was a biblical church. The church would have been in a home. It would not have had a building like this. And the church was started. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, I'm not going to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, which is the first letter we have, it mentions a previous letter. So therefore, we say, okay, if 1 Corinthians 5 said there's a previous letter, then we know that after the visit, number one, an 18-month visit, then number two, there was a previous letter. Now, if that previous letter showed up in an urn somewhere in the desert in Egypt, that doesn't mean we need to copy it and stick it in our Bible. There were probably many other writings taking place in the time when Scripture was uh, being written. But these, are, these two letters are the ones that God wants us to have as His Word. Okay? So, yes, there were other letters. doesn't matter. First and Second Corinthians that we have in Scripture are the Word of God God wants us to have. But I'm helping us understand what's going on in Corinth. So there was a previous letter, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9, uh, demonstrates and tells us about. So then after the previous letter, we have the writing of 1 Corinthians. Previous letter, 
letter would have been taken, word would have come back to Paul. Then he wrote 1 Corinthians, which some have called the pastoral letter. And if you read 1 Corinthians, it's dealing with church things. Brand new church. Can you imagine a, a brand new church in that culture, how many questions they would have had? Brand new church, letter written. They responded to the letter, word comes back to Paul. We have all these issues. Paul writes 1 Corinthians. He would have been in Ephesus at the time, and he wrote the letter. The letter would have gone to the church of Corinth. Word got back to Paul that things are not going well. And the church has gotten very off-center of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so 2 Corinthians, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. 18-month visit, planted the church. Previous letter we learned from 1 Corinthians. Third, 1 Corinthians was written, the pastoral letter. Now we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, a fourth little element was there was a painful visit. I, I don't want to make another painful visit to you. Now if Paul is calling something a painful visit, just knowing Paul's personality, there wasn't, you know, and I'll get to his authority in a little the church was not being the church. Paul had planted that church. He had the authority of the church to go and to say, now guys and gals, it was a painful visit. Theologians, history, Bible teachers, and scholars have done a lot of research and unpacked things and looked at everything, and they determined that there was some false teaching in the name of Christ that had infiltrated the church, bringing the world's culture into the church. Shocking. When Paul got there, he was, an, he, he was an apostle. I'll get to that in a moment. He was an apostle, so what he said was authoritative. It would be like someone coming in if, if Paul was bringing the Scripture with him and is dealing with things, and, and Paul was, was, because he was an apostle, what, God, what Paul said was authoritative. It would be like today someone coming into a church that's supposedly Christian and saying, Thus saith the Lord. So during that painful visit, they said, Paul, we don't care. Paul, who are you? If you're some super apostle, then why do you have bad eyesight? They say that Paul had bad eyesight. Why are you alone? If you're such a super apostle and everything, and you're the, the authority of the Lord, why do you not have rhetoric and authority like I do? Why do these bad things keep happening to you, Paul? Think about Paul's life. And so Paul makes this visit and they, they attack his character. They attack his message. And then by doing so, guess who they're attacking? His Savior. And so as we just track along and understand these things, he leaves. Dealing with the false teachers and he leaves and he's very discouraged. So stay at 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 4. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundance of love that I have for you. So after the painful visit, he writes another letter. And they're calling this letter, if you just read it, and, and different people call it different things, there was a, a painful visit, then this severe letter. I can only imagine what the letter said. But Paul would have had time to think about the way they attacked him. They were attacking Jesus. They were attacking the gospel. 
If you attack a person that is proclaiming the word of God and you don't believe it and you fight against it, you're not attacking that person, you're attacking what God has said. And he writes this severe letter and he's just laying it out to him. And Titus probably would have taken that letter. And upon Titus taking that letter, there must have been some sense of repentance and some sense of change. And after Titus delivered that letter, Titus would have come back and told Paul, prayers have been answered. The church has realized the errors of their ways. Paul, there's, there's still some crazy things going on. There's still some worldly cultural influence within the church, which is just identical till today. But Paul, they get it. That is the context of this letter, the thankful letter. 18-month visit, a previous letter we do not know about, a pastoral letter, 1 Corinthians, a painful visit that decimated Paul greatly, a severe letter to rebuke but to encourage the church to be the church. Then we have this thankful letter writing back to the church, solidifying who he is in Christ, encouraging to live for Christ, encouraging to stand for that which they believe in in Christ. And then the last event, if you were numbering them, number seven, we know from Acts chapter 20 that there was later a three-month visit after 2 Corinthians to the city of Corinth. You got all that? All right, we'll have a test at the end of the day. That's, that's, that's a New Testament survey lesson right there. What does that matter? Well, it matters to me because now I know what the apostle is thinking when he writes these words. And preparing for this week and the weeks to come, many people have said it's one of the least preached epistles that Paul has. You think about Paul's epistles, I mean, you want to talk about great preaching, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Romans, those are great. First Corinthians, they said it's very rarely preached in the same way that the other epistles are. And I think it is, we just don't understand what's going on. And I want us to think about that today. Paul was a man of the Lord Jesus Christ and he loved the gospel and he loved Christ and he loved the church and he loved the kingdom. But yet if you follow his life, not many good things happened to him. If we were looking at his life on a piece of paper at seminary and said, Leave the name blank. This is a pastor that you could be like. I don't know if I'd want all those things to happen to me. Because I've often believed that good pastors have big churches and big budgets and sweet people and Learjets and great things. And you look at the life of Paul, he had nothing. But you know what he had? He had everything. I want us to take a few moments and look at these first two verses because as we think about Paul we have to think about who he was 
He was under great attack from the church. His reputation was at stake. The gospel that he proclaimed was at stake. It'd be like someone saying, you're, you're called into ministry and, and thus saith the Lord and you're preaching the gospel and people are attacking your character and as they attack your character, they're attacking the one that you are proclaiming. And so he was under constant attack for just saying that he believed in the word of God and he wanted to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he loved the church. And he was willing to make a stand. Key statement. He was willing to make a stand on what he believed in. Regardless of what others thought. He was willing to make a stand for the sake of the gospel. As you look at 2 Corinthians, there are many things that are going on. He's defending his ministry. He's encouraging the church. The section in there, he's taking up an offering for the church in Jerusalem. He's reminding the church to remain the church. Don't listen to the false teachings. Remember what the Lord has told you. Look at verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you've given us a great picture of a great ambassador, the Apostle Paul. A man that lived in great affliction from society and the world and even from within the church. But he was willing to make a stand. And stand upon that which he truly believed in. That foundation of his faith. And so Lord, as we are challenged by your word this morning, I pray that we would be men and women and boys and girls that believe in something that matters. That we have that constant understanding of our relationship with you, Christ, and what that means. And the ministry that you have called us to live out. The ministry that which you have called us to be. Remove the worries and the cares of the day. Lord Christ, let us see you for who you truly are. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Of all Paul's epistles, I think I'm getting this right. If I'm wrong, just I was wrong. I'm sorry. I believe it's Galatians is the only one that doesn't have a, such a greeting. Most of Paul's epistles, I think it is Galatians, that doesn't have this same greeting. But a lot of times we get to those greetings and we think, well, it's just a greeting, dear, you know, to whom it may concern, dear so-and-so. But I think we, we, we rush through it. It would have been a very, 2 Corinthians is the most personal letter that we have because Paul is dealing more with him and what is going on in his heart and what he, he is going through with this local church. 
And so we get a picture, we get the the means behind the man. We get to see who he truly is as he writes these words. Even these two verses that seem to be just a, a simple greeting to the church, we get the heart of the man. And I pray that as we look at these words, you would examine your own heart. Could you pin these words and truly mean them and understand who you are in Christ? Let's just break them down in in little sections here. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Well, we know who Paul was. We see here that he was an apostle. That word meant that he was commissioned and that he was sent. But it also conveys the idea of authority, that what he says is meaningful. And what he says has authority. And so if you just kind of back up from history, in the very beginning, God spoke the word in creation. And God spoke and it happened. The, The spoken word of God and we have creation. We move on to uh, the, the judges, and we have judges that were uh, mouthpieces and instruments of God, and, and, and God using people as a means of his authority. We had prophets. Isaiah would come and say, thus saith the Lord, and a false prophet was determined when if God, if a prophet said something that happened, they knew it was of God. If a prophet said something that didn't happen, they knew it wasn't of God. But if we take Isaiah, everything Isaiah said was from the Lord. It had authority. Thus saith the Lord. You go against Isaiah, guess who you're going against? God. We go through the Old Testament There's 400 years of silence as far as we have in Scripture of the the spoken word of God. Guess who comes onto the scene? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. When Jesus Christ spoke, it was the word of God. When Jesus stood before the Pharisees, he said, Thus saith the Lord. And they were held accountable. Why? They disobeyed the word of the Lord. Remember that? We went through John. Jesus is crucified. He dies on a cross. He's placed in a tomb. He raised on the third day. He ascends to the right hand of the Father. Then Jesus sent out his apostles to share the word that he had shared with them. Remember Paul's testimony? Who did did Paul meet on the road to Damascus? Jesus. Paul was considered an apostle and would have had all authority as the mouthpiece of of the Lord Jesus Christ through these men. These apostles then wrote the Scripture, and the Scripture then became the authoritative Word of God. There will be no more authoritative Word of God outside of Scripture until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Think of it this way. Just as authoritative as Isaiah speaking to the kings is scripture that we have here today. Just as authoritative as Jesus Christ himself speaking to the Pharisees in the temple courts is the word of God today. Just as authoritative as the Apostle Paul speaking in this time, the word of God is authoritative for us today. I share that because if you ever flipped on the TV and you see an apostle, Apostle John Beck, Now, sometimes names are different names and bishops and apostles and this, that, and the other. Uh, Historically, Baptists do not have bishop 
even though I do think Bishop Beck has a wonderful ring to it. But I have flipped on the TV before and seen an apostle, and the apostle basically said this, the Lord has told me to tear you. That's heresy. An apostle, to, there are no need for apostles today. Why? We have the word of God. We have Bible teachers. We have preachers. We have theologians. We have people that help us understand the word so that we will know God's word in our life. We don't need an apostle. If I stand up here today and tell you, church, put your Bible away. God has given me a fresh word that only I have gotten, and you need to listen to me. Somebody better start throwing hymnals up here. Because that is not from the word of God. And so when we see that word apostle, we might not understand the severity of it today. There is no apostles. Now that does not mean that you can't be riding down the road and, and God say, hey John, I want you to, you know, you're riding down the road and the Lord just says, hey, pray for Tanner today. And the spirit touches your heart to do something. I'm not saying that's not what I'm saying. That happens all the time. As you pray and seek the face of the Lord, you have spirit little nudges to do the things that, that you know you need to be doing living a Christian. What I'm talking about is, John, tell the people, thus saith the Lord. There's no need for that today because we have Scripture. Isn't that encouraging to know, though? How sad would it be if we had to find an apostle to tell us what God is saying? We don't need an apostle. We have the Spirit of God and the Word of God. That's why it's so important to understand we can know the will of God. We can live in the will of God. But in this time frame, Paul was an apostle. And he was commissioned and he was sent. Now here's Paul, though. You want to talk about a great leader? Can you imagine being the, if I was a pastor and I was like Paul, do you know how hard it would be for me not to become arrogant and dominant? You want to talk about a, a, a ruler. Could you, imagine, could you imagine how hard it would have been for somebody like Paul not to be this domineering ruler? He was Paul. But you know what the Lord said? Paul? I'm going to put a thorn in your flesh. I'm never going to have to worry about you becoming that man. You're going to be a gentle, kind, bold, humble servant. It's not going to be about positions or titles. It's not going to be about what you're able to do. It's going to be about you living your life as a faithful, humble servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice his boldness and the authority on which he stood. Thus saith the Lord. Paul the apostle understood that God, think about this, and this is what we need to understand. God has not saved you to live these years this side of heaven doing what you think is best for you, stockpiling your fortune and doing all these great things. And then, oh, by the way, the good news is once you die, you get to go to heaven. God has saved you and he has commissioned you and he has ordained you to go and to live for him. Just as we think of Paul, what a mighty calling. of He's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'll submit to you today, we are all ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, he was an apostle, and he was commissioned, and he was sent. 
but so are we. Paul could get through the tough times. I mean, could you imagine? Severe letter, painful visit, this, that, and the other. Nothing's ever going the way. I read this book in seminary. This is not the way ministry's supposed to go. But he kept in mind, this is who I am. And this is what I've been called to do. He was an apostle. He was commissioned and he was sent. But he was sent and commissioned of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who do you think was on the top of the list of who Paul loved? Jesus Christ. We sang just a few moments ago. People wonder, what does he do while we singing? I'm singing, I'm thinking. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. Do we really believe that or do we just sing it? To do what Paul did, you have to believe it. It's easy to say hallelujah when everything's going exactly the way we want. Hallelujah, all I have is all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, I, I live for Christ. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. Until the church of Corinth turns on you for standing for Jesus. Until something happens in our workplace that's not conducive to what we thought was going to happen. Until this event happens in our life. Until, think about Paul. I, I should have wrote down the, all the lists of things. Naked, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked. I always go back to the being bitten by a snake. Can you imagine just, I just, there are bad days. Naked and shipwrecked would be pretty bad. Stoned would be pretty bad. You know what stoning looks like? When we think about stone, he was stoned. But live through it. Bitten by a viper, live through it. A viper latched onto Paul's hand. He said, Hallelujah! All I have is Christ. Amen. I live for Jesus. Can we get to the point that we understand that we have been sent and commissioned? And it's all about who we are in Jesus Christ. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. I could probably won't get through this verse right here. Truth be known. Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Woo, born again. That's funny how, how that happens. You, somebody says, how do you know when somebody's born again? You, you, you know. Because they become a new creation in Christ. Old things are past. New things. He was going to Damas on the road to Damascus to kill Christians. And he meets Jesus. Now at that point, Paul probably got out of his daytime or his note, Google notes and said, all right, this is what's going on. 
I'm going to stay in Damascus for a little while, then I'm going to go up to Jerusalem, and uh, Lord have mercy, I'm so much smarter than James. I'll just probably take over for James, because I'm so much more educated than James would ever be. So I'm just going to hang out in Jerusalem and start a denomination up there and blog and write posts, and I'm just going to be the most influential person in the world, and I'm going to hang all my degrees on the wall, and I'm going to be the Apostle Paul. Is that the way it worked out for him? His whole life was just one event after another. From our standpoint, it would appear one, here's, it's good, don't miss this, one chaotic event after another. I'm sure the little, the Baptist prayer group, I'm making fun of Baptists now, the Baptist prayer group back in Jerusalem is probably saying, man, when's he going to get his life together? He just has one chaotic event after another. I guess let's leave Paul on the prayer list another month. One thing after another. But yet Paul says, oh, it's chaotic to you. But to me, I am in the will of God. That's all of us, by the way. When we're walking through things, we can never see it for what it is. But once we come through it, we say, God was good. And he saw me through it. Our Sunday night study, trusting God. There's a God that loves his. His new creation, his children. There's a God that loves those that are his. He loves us. And everything will ultimately turn out for our good. Isn't that awesome? He, God, loves us. And everything will ultimately turn out for our good. All the things that Paul endured, did it ultimately turn out for his good? Yes. When he was martyred for Jesus Christ, did it turn out for it good? Yes. People say, well, I don't understand God and all this evil. Listen, it's not that God is evil. It's that God is good and we live in a fallen world. We're living life looking up from our perspective. Look at life looking at it from God's perspective. Paul was martyred. He was beheaded by Emperor Nero. And we think about how terrible that will be. And Paul would say, it's not terrible. It was for my good. God loves his people and everything turns out ultimately for our good because he is infinite wise in all things. There is a beginning and an end to God. His love, His wisdom, because God is sovereign. One of the hardest doctrines to get people to really understand is sovereignty. The reason why it's so hard is that we say we believe in it. Does that make sense? When you think you believe in something, but you can't live it out, it's very frustrating to try to teach it. If you don't believe God is in control, then you live your life like he's not in control. That's a lot easier than when we grow up in church and we say, we believe God is in control, right? But that we live our life like he's not. You understand that? We say he's in control, but do we believe like he is in control? That's very hard. He's in control. It always comes up. I mentioned it last Sunday night. It's a good time to mention it again. As we've gone through our Sunday night study, well, gosh, and I start thinking about God being in control. Why pray? Stop it. 
Here's the greatest way. I, I thought about this about 5 o'clock this morning, and I always have to bounce things off Sharon and say, is this, this, this me or do I dream this? Here's the best way to handle Well, if God is in control, what does my prayer life matter? Okay, one, you're looking at it from your perspective up. Stop it. Here's a great way to understand it because we've all wrestled with it, right? If you hadn't wrestled with it, you hadn't thought about it. So you need to think about it. If God is in control, why pray? I got it fixed. If God is in control, why worship him? Do I worship him for me or do I worship him because of who he is? Do I pray because of me? Do I pray because of who he is? That's, 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 that's the answer. Prayer and worship. I'm not praying because I need God to do things for me. I'm praying because of who God is. If I come in here to worship so that God wouldn't do something for me, well, I'm going to go to church and maybe my bills will be paid this month. If all us Georgia fans come to church every week, then maybe we can beat Alabama. Doubt it, but anyway. God doesn't answer. That's not worship. We worship because of Him. We come to church because of Him. We don't come to church because of me. I pray because of Him. Lord, I'm grateful that my life is such a mess because you know I'm me. Here are my needs. I pray because of Him. I worship because of Him. That's why we pray to a sovereign Lord. Because He's Him and He's worthy of it. And Paul said, listen, I'm, <laughs> I've written letters, severe letters, painful letters, severe visits, comforting visits, pastoral letters. I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ in the will of God. We never understand the will of God often when we walk through it. The secret things belong to God. God's sovereign will we'll never understand because we don't see it. We see it after the fact. God's revealed will is Scripture. That's what we need to obey and see and understand. So if I'm obeying, you know, it's like, okay, the Bible says love one another. I need to love one another. That's God's revealed will. Do that. If I follow the revealed will of God and I'm following after the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll look at this next week as we think about God comforting, as I'm following after the Lord Jesus Christ, his secret will is going to be taking place and I'm just following along, listening to what he's telling me to do. That's why we worship. That's why we pray. Because of who he is. Paul got that. Paul understood, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Notice Timothy. Timothy, our brother. I like Timothy. He's a pastor. You know what your pastor does when he Often throughout this, his ministry, 20-something years of ministry, I've done this many times. I, take, I heard a pastor say this, and I borrowed it from him. Take a Bible, take a notepad, get alone, and read First and Second Timothy over and over and over and over. You want to know what to do as a pastor? Read First and Second Timothy over and over 
and over. Timothy was a pastor. He wasn't an apostle. He was a pastor. He wasn't Paul. He was Timothy. But notice what Paul said to him. Our brother. That's encouraging to me. I grew up listening to Charles Stanley on TV. Back, back when I'm so old, we only had four channels. And you could, you, people are like, what? And you could turn it on channel 17 out of Atlanta and you get Charles Stanley. I can still see him up there. You hear what I'm saying? Listen to this now. And so when I got called at True Story, <laughs> called his church one day to talk to him. Can you imagine that? God was wrestling with my heart about ministry. I'm like, I'm calling Charles Stanley. That just fits my personality, doesn't it? In touch ministries. Yeah, is Dr. Stanley around? Kind of busy. Can I take a message? Yeah, John Beck, I need to talk with him. Uh, he's kind of busy. But I'll never forget. I said, I just talked to this guy. I don't know what's going on in my heart. I just, I love Dr. Stanley. I think God may be calling me to preach. I don't know what to do. Ah. And he prayed with me. I remember standing in our bathroom, looking out my bathroom window, and that guy praying with me. So anyway, so that's Charles Stanley. So the first sermon I preached, guess what I thought? <laughs> Somebody's got to take over Charles Stanley. <laughs> I am from Georgia. I wouldn't have to move very far. What do you think happened that first sermon? Good job. You'll get better. Well, I guess I'm not Charles Stanley. Guess what? I'm not Charles Stanley. And I'm glad I'm not. Because if I was Charles Stanley, I couldn't be John Beck. That's good, bad, and indifferent. But I think the key is we just have to be who we are in Christ. Timothy wasn't the super apostle. He was a brother in Christ working with Paul. We're not individual Christians. We're a body. We're in this together. But don't miss this. God has saved us and called us and commissioned us to go be us as we love him. An old pastor wrote, and everybody's borrowed it and borrowed it and borrowed it. An old pastor said many years ago about preaching, preach the gospel and be yourself. Now, I would say be a, try to be a good self. Don't be, you know, preach the gospel, be yourself. Follow Jesus, be yourself. Quit apologizing for what you can't do and do what you can do. Yes, there are going to be some positions. Paul, when, when Paul walked into Jerusalem, when Paul walked into a city, probably, people probably recognized him a little more than they did Timothy, right? That's all right. Be Paul. Be Timothy, be Aquila, be Priscilla. Be who God has called you to be and understand that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And Timothy, our brother. Third, and it's not really points, but just statements to the church of God. Have you thought about the magnitude of what we're part of here? You know, I love, I love football. I, I really do. I always say this jokingly. I, 
I, I probably don't watch football as much as you think I would. I do watch it, but I do, but I do love football. And nothing gets me more excited for somebody to be playing an SC, a Big Ten school to get beat by the SEC. What do, you, what do you start hearing in the stands? SEC, SEC. I was on a nationally syndicated podcast. Are y'all ready? I've never shared this story before. A nationally syndicated podcast when I was living in Indiana, when Florida was playing Ohio State. Who do you think I pulled for? Y'all don't even know how to answer. Carrie, you may disown me when you find this out. I pulled for Florida. And I, was, I, I called into a nationally syndicated podcast and was almost thrown out of Bulldog Nation. We don't pull for the Gators if they were playing communist. But I was like, I'm in the Midwest. I'm in Big Ten country. SEC, SEC. To the church. Now, I love the SEC. I belong to the church of God. The big church of God. Not a denomination down on the street. The church of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. We'll get on the intercom at Walmart. Church of God, church of God, church of God. How special is that? You know, I tell you when it gets neat, and, and some of our guys got back yesterday, and they're on this mission high. Ooh. They got that Shekinah glory about them. Do you know Why? They've been intently doing the Lord's work for about 48 straight hours. And it feels good. And you're connected with brothers and sisters in Christ. We had a group from New Mexico. When we were at Tallahassee. They were from New Mexico. I was like, How long did it take you to get here? I asked those real profound questions. How did it? That, that was a snoring crowd, by the way. They said, we just hip-hopped from churches till we got here. That is awesome to me. I mean, we belong to something that is greater than you can ever imagine. We are part of the church. And by the way, back to football, we've won. I mean, I literally was sitting there yesterday after I prepared my sermon Okay, we got to do press coverage against Alabama. We got to blitz that AB gap. We got to get two off his balance. Scared to death what the score is going to be like in the SEC championship game. We've won. I mean, I'm not making, you know, I make light of things and I think you get taken the right, what, wrong way. Every one of you need to vote Tuesday. If you hadn't already voted, if I find out you haven't voted, I'm going to read your name out from this pulpit, okay? <laughs> that is embarrassing if you have not voted, okay? I'm going to hunt you down somehow. Is that illegal? <laughs> vote! Gosh, what a privilege. Emily and, and, and Sharon came back with their little stickers the other day, and I had mine the other day. I said, doesn't it just feel good? Don't you just feel good when you vote? 
But you know, at the end of the day, Tuesday, Wednesday morning when I wake up and I'm either yes or I'm either like, God, guess what? We've already won. I still want to pray for revival in our land and I still pray for God-fearing people to lead our great country and we need to pray more that way. I know I need to pray more that way. We've one and we're part of the greatest organization in the history of all humanity, the church. He's writing this letter to the church of God that is at Corinth. We're a local church. We're a local church part of doing something that has eternity in the balance. We get to join God in eternity. And it's local. It's not to be done alone. It's not, I do religion in my own way. I just come to church for my convenience. I'm going to slip in and slip out, check the box, do this. You've got it wrong. I've said this over and over and over and over. People are more committed to the rotary than they are their local church. How do you know? Because I almost got thrown out of rotary. That's bad, isn't it? But yet we treat church. We, we can, I can go up to somebody at rotary, and I, I loved rotary. And I, I had perfect attendance. I'm just making light of it. But I did get out of Rotary. You know why I got out of Rotary? I love being part of Rotary. You know why I got out of Rotary? Because I couldn't be committed to it. And Rotary is about commitment. And I honor them for that. But I could be walking down the sidewalk and someone that I was in Rotary with would come up to me and say, man, I miss you. It's not Rotary without you. Why don't we do church that way? It's not church without you. Where were you? Man, I've missed you. We're part of a big church in Avon Park. It's God's church here. It's God's church there. It's God's church there. But it's obvious for 100 plus years, God has ordained this church for a reason. We're part of the church of not Corinth. We're part of the church of God in Avon Park on 100 North Lake Avenue. And the name just happens to be First Baptist Church. How exciting is that? should be very exciting. We are the launching pad for ministry right here and what God has asked us to do. The word church is ecclesia, called out ones, to call out from among. The people of God are, are called out ones. To the church of Corinth, and I'll close with these last two statements. Of the saints. Notice what it says. With all the saints. Called out from is the church. Set apart for is a saint. Anybody have a Catholic background? You know the, how they view saints? And you've got to perform miracles and special things. And they elevate you to sainthood. Well, that's a wrong understanding of sainthood. The moment that we are saved, we are set apart by God. New creations in Christ. Think of that most valuable thing in your house. Think about it. We've all got this silly, valuable thing. Mine is a piece of grass that big. You know the story of the grass? 
1985, Georgia beat number two Florida, and the Georgia fans stormed the field and ripped up the end zone. I got a piece of it. You fill in the blanks. It sits in a softball plastic cover with the ticket in it. House is on fire. I'm getting my grandmother's Bible, my wedding picture, Georgia Ann, and that. Emily, you're on your own. You're a policeman now. <laughs> it is so silly. I've even had people come to my house, where's the grass? And I know if you're a Gator fan, I'm like, not telling you. <laughs> Stupid, silly, ridiculous, but special. I don't care what you've done, what you're capable of doing, what you haven't been doing. If you're a child of the Lord, get right. Make Jesus Lord of your life. Start living for him. Quit playing with Jesus. Honor him. Bow your knee. Honor him with your life. You're a saint. Do you know what God wants to do through you? I have no idea, but I can only imagine. A saint in the eyes of the Lord, set apart for a special work. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, the means of our salvation. The favor of God upon our life that He saved us. You want to tell you, let me tell you what, do you think Paul understood grace? He was walking down the road to Damascus on the way with the letters from the religious leaders that killed Jesus Christ with the authority to kill Christians. And Jesus Christ saved him. That's grace. Paul knew it. With much is given, much is embraced. When we understand how lost we were and the precious gift of our salvation, it has a radical effect on our life. That is grace, the means of our salvation. And then he says peace, the product of our salvation. The peace and surpassing understanding that only the Lord can give. Lack of conflict. Paul had peace in the midst of adversity. Yes, things did not go his way. Yes, I'm sure he was perturbed. Yes, I'm sure he was frustrated. But he had the peace that passes all understanding that can only guard your heart, as Philippians tells us, through Christ Jesus. As we stand on these things, we can stand as Paul did. I look around this congregation and, and see you and I can only imagine what God would do through his church here in Avon Park if we would let him that we could all be more like Paul and love Christ and the call and the gospel the way he did let's stand as we pray Lord we rejoice in your goodness this morning we thank you for 2nd Corinthians and just something as simple as a greeting the wealth of truth that we find there. And Lord, as we sing today, I pray that we do so in a way that we understand where we stand in relationship with you in our heart. So as we pray about you leading me, as you lead us, I pray the words are real and true and they reflect our heart. And this we pray in Christ's name.